Swifty, got an interesting one this week for you, mate. Um, I bet it is ready. You're always good. Yeah, well, this one, mate. This this kid, I reckon he's going some places. This one, um, yeah. So JB, yeah, he'll tell you all about the future. He's seen it and it works. And I'll talk about that later in the podcast. But you know, we cover that off. What do you think? Well, yeah, I've googled him and I've linked in him and I've uh, done my best to understand what the hell he's talking about. But I'm still a bit lost. So hopefully our listeners can get some uh, understandings out of it. Brilliant. I agree. So, should we get him in? Get him in. Get him in. All right, JB. Jesse Barrett, this week. Well, Swifty. Oh, it's going to be quite a ride. I'm, I'm already uh, feeling out of my depth. I'm reading your uh, bit of a CV here. Jesse and uh, I have uh, <clears throat> absolutely no idea what you do. <laughs> Most of the time, Swifty, neither do I. <laughs> I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. What we try to do, Jesse, with our guests um, for all of our five listeners, Swifty. Um. No, it's more than that now. I've put it on uh, my LinkedIn, Ruddy, so we're up to double figures. <laughs> so what we like to do jesse is we just go back to the beginning and sort of we like to ask them you know where did you start off like from your schooling or where you're from and j just a bit of a background um to you know where you are and then how you get got into what you've got into really so do you want to do you want to kick off with that i mean i guess start at the beginning pretty standard kid um raised in victoria Mum and dad, middle class, home. Um, I suppose the one standout thing is I wasn't very good at school. Uh, didn't get through to the end. Didn't see 11, didn't see 12, didn't see VCE. Have no idea what that's like. Um, left at year 10 to, uh, to go to art school. It's it's not that good, JB. <laughs> it's overrated. I'll take your word on it. <laughs> Yeah, left year 10 to go to art school and studied Academy of Interactive Entertainment in Melbourne. That's a thing? Yeah, it is. It is a thing. <laughs> um, I think I think to today I'm still the youngest ever applicant. So when I first started my application there, I was 14, maybe in the year I was turning 15. And by the time I was going full time, I was 17, 16, 17. So you were out That's... there doing the work at 17. Well, I was studying. I was instead of year eleven and twelve, I was I was studying. You know the craft that I'd chosen, um, which I summarise as you know I was an artist, I guess. Um, but I chose pixels as my medium instead of oil paint. But yeah, went to AIE, uh, studied an advanced diploma. I had Brendan Bottomley as my key teacher there. Um, oh, yeah. Ex Sega, old school game dev, um, retired, you know, an absolute legend. Halfway through my second year, my last year at AIE, I was lucky enough to get a job at, at uh, EA, uh, internship there under Kynan kind of Woodman. So yeah, started sort of three days a week, learning the industry, learning the people, young kid getting pushed around. 
uh, was the reality. When you say learning the industry, what, what, what industry do you mean by that? Well, at EA, it was primarily games development. Uh-huh. So 3D art for games. So when I was at EA, I was working on primarily Need for Speed, Real Racing, and The Sims. <laughs> so a few titles that people... Mm. And, and, what, and, and can you, what sort of things were you doing on a day-to-day basis? Just shed a bit of light on that, just, just to give some people some context around it. So primarily taking, you know, 2D images, concept art, reference images, and creating 3D models for games, whether that be for need for speed, you know, environments, cars, jumps, pickups, you know, uh, everything you in the game. Oh, God, so this would have been 2015, 2016? Yeah, right. Something like that. Uh, you know, what I want to do with you, Jesse, is I want to give some context to our, our, our listeners. And we, we've got a broad range of listeners. And, you know, Swifty and I are um, into our, uh, well, I don't know, Swifty, what should we say, mid-years or 50s? I don't know what you want to call it. And um, obviously, Jesse, I've known you a while now. And I've worked with you for a while. But I mean, you know, one of the things is, Jesse, is some of these listeners, we, we talk about things like faxes and, um, in fact, actually, acetates. Now, Swifty, do you remember doing presentations on acetates? It's a very good question, Ruddy, because I was going to ask JB, how do you incorporate your bromide? <laughs> Jesse, that when you started I guess school. That's something I've never been asked before. When, when, you were on, when you were at school, Jesse, was it, you started with a laptop? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I'm only 27 now. I've had over a decade working in the industry. So, I came into prep grade one using iPads and laptops. Do you know what an acetate presentation is? Have you ever heard of an acetate? Because I don't expect you would have done. This is an acetate projector, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Swifty, he was more advanced. So, he not only had a, a red pen and a black pen, but you probably had a blue and a green, did you, Swifty? And, I'd buy the four colour pens. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> you had to flip the acetate. Remember, because it, otherwise, if you didn't put it down upside down on the sort of projector, uh, you'd start sweating because you know the marble would be coming on, and you'd be going, "I'm sweating here." And then you'd be going, you put your finger on the red pen, and it, it'd all start to smudge, and everyone would be going, "Oh, mm. can't read what the word is." Well, that was how you did a before PowerPoint. That's how you did a. That's how you did a build. You'd uh, you'd pull the bit of A4 paper down six inches and and then you'd pull it down another six inches and then the big reveal you'd whip the whip the sheet right off people would be amazed how did he how did he do that yeah saw a few people burnt for witchcraft (laughs) and and, and just to give some context to that we're we're talking i I was thinking about this earlier we're only talking late 90s by the time we got this you know, this, this wonderful thing called PowerPoint presentations. I mean, I was at the Mirror, and it was like, oh, we can, Daily Mirror in the UK, and oh, we've got a PowerPoint. It was like, everyone was like, what was that? I mean, I obviously was ahead of my time because I studied that sort of stuff at university. But University? Oh, no, I know. But anyway, back to, back to our guest. Um, so, JB, so we'll go from there into where you were at. So, yeah, so I spent a few years at EA um, working as a junior artist, uh, once I'd completed my internship. Um, and then moving from EA, I got an opportunity to work with a new startup in Melbourne called Playside. Playside Studios was starting their reality division. 
And this is back in the day of Oculus Rift 1, very first early development kits, uh, when VR, VR was really a heavy fad. You know, it can still be considered a fad today a little bit, but it was nowhere near the market uh, that we have today. So what, what year roughly is this then? 2018? Oh, no, not that early. 2017, 2016, 2017, I'd say. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years, helped them get their VR division up and running. Um, learned a lot at Playside, being in that kind of startup industry area. Uh, moving from big business, big team at EA, down to sort of the, the nitty-gritty of wearing multiple hats at Playside taught me a lot. Just looking at their website now, there's some uh, some amazing graphics on here. Oh, thank you. Playside Studios, Age of Darkness, it's remarkable stuff. You know, come a long way from Asteroid. <laughs> so Playside was fun, working with uh, Jerry Sarkis and TJ Munasami there. Moving through, worked, like I said, as a sort of mid-artist, got up to that senior level and was, was helping their junior artists uh, learn a lot. Uh, ended up being there for about three years. And whilst I was there, I had the opportunity to also kind of freelance in my own time, work for a few different uh, businesses in Australia, Skydance, Interactive, um, a few others as well, ABC, Mode Games, uh, before ending up with the opportunity to head over to New Zealand and work with Weta Workshop, responsible for Avatar, Lord of the Rings, Milan. So my, my bosses there directly were James Cameron and Peter Jackson. Ah! And I worked under Greg Broadmoor. Told you, Swifty. Told you. Whoa. So I worked directly with Greg Broadmoor, and my senior boss was Michael McDonald. All heavy-hitting names in the CG industry. What was Peter Jackson's uh, claim to fame, apart from making magnificent suits? Was it Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? Hmm? Lord of the Rings was PJ's big one. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then James Cameron, Titanic, and Avatar. Is known for going down to the bottom of the ocean, as you do when you have billions of dollars. Swifty, just just to sort of enlighten our readers, and when I first came across Jesse, our Pixon Group, which is obviously the company that I'm involved with, um, we were looking to get into the VR space in sport, and Tennis Australia were working with a company that Jesse was working with, and I met Jesse through that, and then Jesse and I have worked together. Jesse's done some. Um, work with me and Pixon Group since then, and um, yeah, it it was amazing to see them do the VR work. I think that was during COVID, wasn't it? It was back in about two thousand and twenty. That I think it was, wasn't it, Jesse? Yeah. So I worked with Weta and the team for almost five years, or four, almost four or five years, and that brings us to COVID. You know, the turning point in everyone's story these days. Um, brought me back home. And ended me up in a team with Ig, uh, Ignition Immersive uh, in Melbourne. So that's where I met. Yeah. And then talk about the mixed reality studio we we're going to create. That was going to be the first in the Southern Hemisphere. What, what, what was your vision around that? Because that was you. So there's a gap in the market really down south here, especially in Asia Pacific. But, you know, you could cover the whole Southern Hemisphere with people's access to experiencing mixed reality, both virtual and augmented. Getting your hands dirty, getting your head in a headset and understanding what the experience is like before having to invest. So in Australia here, if you want the experience of virtual reality or augmented reality, 
you're looking at a $1,200 headset or a $2,000 phone. Whereas in America, throughout Europe, in UK, you can walk through the plazas, through the malls, and get free experiences tied to brands in a VR headset or through an AR device. So I think, Jesse, just, just, just to pull it back for some of our... <laughs> Slow it down. Slow it down, nerdlinger. <laughs> you know what, Swifty, you're going to be proud of me, hopefully, because I've done a little bit of homework here. And I just... What, did you understand some of that running? <laughs> oh, you know me, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm always up to where it's at. But um, I just thought for some of our acetate fax members, because um, we, want, we want the young and the old. We want everyone <laughs> across the industry. So I thought I'd start off with the Oxford Dictionary definition of augmented reality, because I thought that's a not bad place to start. And it says, because augmented, you know, it's reality I think most people can get to grips with, but augmented, it says, a technology that superimposes a computer-generated image on a user's view of the real world, thus providing a composite view. So you were working on this, JB? So with a company in America called Magic Leap, which was a wearable headset that did exactly as Matt just perfectly described. So you still had to have a headset on, uh, headset on, but um, well, it's come a long way since. And Ed, where we are commercially at the moment, Swifty, to get that experience, you need to hold your phone up to understand and see 3D models in your world through a camera. Is this what the? I think the Google phone was using it in their ads. Is that right? Google, iPhone, Samsung—they're all big on it. But the whole point is, is you're experiencing it through a flat panel, right? Still through a camera. Magic Leap took that technology and put it into glasses that you could wear on your head. The next iteration of that will be something that looks more like a contact lens or <laughs> before that, more like Ray-Bans. Wow. So taking the um, the Google glasses, was that, was that the Google glasses or the... Uh... Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, Google Glass, yep. Google, so taking that to the next level. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think Google Glass was a little bit early, to be honest. I mean, Zuckerberg, I reckon back in about 2017 or something like that, he was investing He was investing a lot of money into the, the VR market, and he was saying things like 2010 is a decade of the mobile phones and 2020s would be the AR and VR. And I think, you know, he said... Um, We'll have 1 billion people in VR by 2030. But, I mean, I, d I don't know. Will, will we have that there? Do you, do you think we'll have that then, by then? Or, or do you, I mean, Facebook spent thing... 30 billion and they changed their name to Meta, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, with Twitter going to X, anything could happen. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, that, that's, that's been a disaster, though, hasn't it, really? I mean, Twitter to X, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, I mean... I, I hardly look at that site anymore. It, 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 but I, I, I suppose I, th I suppose the thing about new age technologies, and it, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Is it's it's brilliant where they could go, but it's where they are in reality right now. And I suppose uh, for an expert that you are in, in this kind of field, where do you think it's tracking event against what it was supposed to do? But but more importantly, I mean, like you said, you're 27. Where do you see the next? You know, where do you see the future going? Do you, do you have any idea of that or not? I think about it constantly. It's the biggest thing I lose sleep on. It's your, um, it's your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more so. It's more my passion. It's something that I've thought about since I was a little kid. 
and you know where where I'm going, where the future's going, where the world's going. It's something that I think my generation thinks about a lot. But when it comes to technology specifically, I think some of the accounts and and some of the calls that people were making, like Zucks and Elon, and even PJ and and James and stuff, when we were at Weta, no one saw AI coming. And in the last 12, 18 months, I think things have rapidly changed, and I think they're continuing to change every day. I think it'll be far less now looking at AR and VR, let's just call it mixed reality, looking at mixed reality as a whole. The only application we saw prior was really training and games. But now with the upsurgence of AI and the ability to give these platforms entities that you can interact with, no longer does my Maps application become a static feedback panel, but something that I can ask questions to, like, how bad is the traffic really? Describe it to me, you know? Or holding my phone up or tapping the side of my glasses to say, you know, I need a set of six towels. Where's the closest place to go? And it'll point you and show you a, a line on the road to drive on, Mario Kart style. These things no longer become gimmicky, but they become the preferred way of doing things from generations coming, and therefore they become the norm. So it's not so much a choice, but a more of like a surfer riding a wave. We all just kind of have to go with it, unfortunately. And that's more the way technology's always been. Well, fortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> Yeah, fascinating, fascinating stuff. I'm just thinking, actually, as, as we're talking about that, and you know, with your openness, um, Swifty, we, we've we've spoken in the past about um, you know young executives that um, that can see the future and they know it works. And who said that, by the way? There's somebody that said that. That's, that's a famous saying, isn't it? You said what? I've seen the future and it works. It wasn't JB, was it? It could be, though. <laughs> Just this, now. This is the point I'm getting to. It's a bloke called Lincoln Steffens, actually. But anyway. Um, oh, yeah. I thought I'd try and do something like that, Swifty, every week. Just just add a bit of, you know, cultural sort of, like, as if we know what we're actually talking about. But so, um, so, so JB, what are you up to now, then? Because, you know, I, I know you've been out on your own, and I'd love to, we'd love to have, you know, a plug for, the, for your company, Canopy Creative. Yeah, that's a great segue. So moving out of kind of brands and games, films you would have heard of, I got to that stage and, and after COVID, I was never really satiated with what I was doing. I discovered that although I loved my job day to day, being a cog was never really me. It goes back to, you know, struggling to being told what to do in high school and, you know, never getting through any of that. Now I've started my own business. Uh, I've partnered up with a good friend of mine, Chris Demopoulos, who's an engineer software engineer of 35 years. Um, we sort of summarize what we do as what he makes work, I make pretty. What I make pretty, he makes work. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and that's kind of how we run our teams. So our team altogether is called Canopy Creative. You can find us at canopycreative.design. Exactly how it sounds. Spelt exactly how it sounds. I'm on there now. And as you would expect, it's a... Uh... Pretty slick looking website, Ruddy. It is, mate. Top, top notch. <laughs> Thank you both. Um, but yeah, we sort of combined over 40 years, over four decades together, Chris and I, to lead a team to bring the pinnacle of mixed reality development across 3D art and custom software development to brands of all types uh, across multiple different industries, whether that be for education, visualization, humanitarian efforts. We work with uh, big business and government, 
all the way through to local dance schools and cafes. So we're really just trying to bring that AAA quality development and experience to everybody and to all businesses. So Jesse, can you give me some kind of examples that you're actually working on at the moment and, and what that really means so that our listeners can get some understanding of your expertise? And... Absolutely. So we're working with, you know, the Australian Defence Force, the Army, Effective Animations at the moment, to bring the most advanced digital visualisation of the Anzac Rising Sun emblem to fans of, of the brand, uh, whether that be internally or externally. Primarily at the moment, we're focused on history recreation videos. Uh, they can be found on the Cove website and on the canopycreative.design website. And they range from stories from Kokoda through to Bathsheba uh, and Gallipoli. And what can people expect to see in that? Just just to give us a, a sort of like, say, I mean, say of a five minute clip, what, what what's it? So it's a visual recreation of everything from troop movements to key movements in those historic battles, showing the elegance and the movements of the Anzac forces, uh, why they were important and the roles they had to play. Uh, we use 3D art primarily, as well as 2D graphic representations to you know, deploy and show troop movements as arrows across borders, engaging with enemies, uh, down to highly detailed, high quality 3D visualizations. Is this for public consumption or just for them? This is for public consumption, and this can be found on the Cove website. What's it called? Cove. C-O-V. Charlie, Oscar, Victor, Echo. That's right. No, no, this is what a mate of mine, uh, we went to the uh, Tank Museum in Cairns, and he wanted to know something. Somebody asked him a question, and he said, It'll be, I'll be on the Cove. And it's like ozarmy.defence.cove.something. Uh, you have to Google it. The best way to find it is to Google Oz Army the Cove. Yeah, and then when you're there, there is everything from how to shave to how to service it. It's it, and there's levels of access. Like there's instructional videos. Think of it as think of it as Australia Australia Army's Wikipedia. It's it's quite scary what you can find on there if you've got the right access. So how, how long's Canopy Creative been around? So we're about a year old now. We started uh, end of last year. November 10th, 22. So there's there's that rising sun badge on your homepage. That looks... Thanks, man. So we work with everyone from Oz Army, Picon Group with SXG, uh, local design studios, local businesses, all the way through to, to international and international governments. Oh, Beersheba. You've got... So one of your battles that you did was Beersheba, was it? Yeah, so that was the last cavalry uh, charge of any armed force. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was the, the army unit I was in. That was the battle that they were most famous for. Oh, wow. 31st of October, 1917, Beersheba Day. That's the one. It's coming up. Yeah. Colonel Harry Chevelle. Oh. Led the charge. You'd love that video, Swifty. He was, he was 52 years old and he'd been overlooked for promotion and all this sort of stuff. And then they, uh, to shut him up, they put him in charge of the, I think it was the fourth light horse or something. And they pretty much said, oh, you can have this because you're never going to go anywhere or do anything. And then he changed the tie to World War One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Rode for three, four days across the desert, no water. And he got there and he said to the blokes, well, we're out of water. So if you want water, it's over there. <laughs> this is a great example. Swifty, have you ever heard, have you ever heard of a game called Age of Empires? Uh, yeah, I never played it. It was too hard for me. So we basically took the, the visual elements of Age of Empires yeah. 
And from a, a bird's eye view, you see a 3D recreation of that battle. Yeah, right. And that was the video that we created for the cuff. Fucking amazing. So, Swifty, with that in mind, I'm just thinking, you know, because obviously, you know, Jesse's business is fairly new. Mm-hmm. Applications to brands, now that, you know, you, you've got some vision for it now, an understanding mm-hmm. of it. And, and also for you, Jesse, you know, I mean, what, what does that mean for, let's just say, Toyota? You know, I mean, Toyota, AFL, naming partner, one of the big brands in sport, which obviously is somewhere... I work in. What's it mean for them? What's it mean, Jesse? What, what, is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head that you'd say, oh, we could do this, we could do that, we could look at it this way, we could look at it that way, we could have them coming out the middle of the MCG? What's, what's it? Canopy, you know, we, we're called Canopy because we like to say that from metaverse to medieval, Canopy has you covered. <laughs> Very good. So in that regard, off the top of my head, we could do anything from a VR experience a ride-along experience in a Toyota on a four-wheel drive track, sitting in the front seat next to the driver, being able to look around in 360 and experiencing, you know, the tilt and suspension of a new Toyota truck, all the way through to a live augmented reality experience through people's phones at the MCG to have a shared digital concert experience that incorporates the entirety of the stadium viewed through their phone in augmented and anything in between. So one of the um, one of the ways you described the metaverse to me was that with D, it was like going to Glastonbury, but you're in Geelong, you, um, and we're sitting here, and you can go, you can go and see Oasis over there, you can go and see Coldplay over there, you know, Elton John over there, and you can walk into the tents. You and I can do it together. Mm-hmm. Just is that right? Is that about right, Jesse? That that's that's basically what you're it's, doing. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean. The way I see it, and everyone sort of has their own vision, I guess, in this space of what the metaverse is. For me, the metaverse is a complete singularity of the web digital space, the Internet of Things, with our world, accessed via an augmented or virtual interface. And what that means in summary, really, is if I have my headset on, on the couch, and I'm at the Splendor in the Crafts VR concert, I've just watched two or three DJs with their 3D 360 experiences. And I go over to the Uber food truck in VR and I order some food via the food truck, speaking to the AI assistant, you know, all digital space. In 15 or 20 minutes time at my real home, my six pack or my hot dog or whatever should arrive. It's actually delivered in real life. It's a seamless integration (laughs) of digital and physical experience. That's what to me the metaverse is. Accessed from anywhere. And like what you say, if you're in Glastonbury and you want to go to Auckland and see Elton John, that's one aspect of it. But what if you want to go to a digital VR-only experience held by Snoop Dogg on Mars? That can also be done via the metaverse. So it's this complete intertwine of digital and physical and imagination. And I think we're arriving and we will be arriving soon at a time where logging off or disconnecting will be equally as good as a holiday. I mean, we're... All aspects of our life from ordering food to working to interacting to entertainment to education will all be done via the metaverse, via a digital interface of some kind, whether that be virtual or augmented. And the process of removing yourself from that will be as good as a holiday. Yeah, I I definitely think, Swifty, there's a role in this for him to become our uh, futuristic guidance. What did you call it? Spirit guide. 
And by that, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing too either, Reddy. I mean that more as um, it will become so intertwined. Well, it's it's kind of heading that way. The shortest path of resistance will be through a, a digital format. Ruddy, if your phone, if your phone shit itself right now, just stop working. How fucked would you be? Yeah, I'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the log out bit? Is that the log out bit? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, I got it. I was never the sharpest. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the thinking man's Adam Ferrier. Yeah, the stuff keeps me up at night, guys. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. But can you see, Jesse, where I'm coming from about, you know, 20 years from now? I mean, you're only going to be, you're not even going to be as old as I am now in 20 years. And you'll have gone from the fax age, or sorry, the equivalent of the fax age to the digital age now. So the things that you're even thinking about. Mate, in 20 years, in 20 years, Canopy, you'll be the size of Deloitte. So I'll be happy to come back. Swifty, I've got some exciting news to kickstart our first series of Media Life. What's that, Ruddy? We've got a sponsor, sportsxglobal.com. Sportsxglobal.com. Sportsxglobal.com, the place for sports commerce, an online platform that enables sellers such as codes, clubs, stadiums to showcase their assets to buyers, being brands and their busy media agency executives, a bit like yourself, to see what's available. And if not now, when in the future, is that prize Carlton shirt, say, available? Go, Blues. You can download the club's media kit and if you want, click on contact rights holder button and email the commercial manager of the club directly requesting the information you require. No more nagging reps beating down your doors at the wrong time of year. And it's global, so rights holders get more brands looking at their assets. As a seasoned media buyer of 30-some years, Swifty, what do you think of that? Oh, that sounds fantastic, Ruddy. But as always, what's the price? Well, through Media Life, if they sign up now, they get 12 months free access. Free access? I'm on the website right now. Sportsexglobal.com. Sportsexglobal.com. So on that basis then, Jesse, because I think one of the things I want to get from this across to our listeners is like back to the Toyota example that you gave earlier, which is great. Yeah, well I mean it's something that it's something that I'm a little bit sad to see car industry hasn't really taken up you know I'm, I'm a little bit close to that my old man is fleet manager for Mitsubishi he works out of Werribee and and he's been in the car industry for 30 40 years I'm a huge car fan I'm a huge fanatic of cars and it saddens me that the car buying process is still so boring you know everything from everything from the first engagement when I walk through the plaza and they're all parked in the center you might have, you know, some good-looking people come over to me to hand me a pamphlet, but I don't want that. I want something interactive and something immersive. If you came over to me and offered, hey, do you want to go around the track at 180 or 200 k's an hour in the new sub Subaru WRX? Mm. I'd say 100% I'd love to do that. And they go, yeah, sweet, come have a seat, put this headset on. Do you want to climb, you know, some amazing dunes in Africa? in the new Mitsubishi Triton. You know, do you want to go on the Dakar Rally? I'm so much more willing to then invest in the experience that I've had and the emotional connection I have with that 
immersion than I am to buy off a pamphlet or buy off a newspaper article or off a bad ad with Russell Coit. <laughs> and I think I think that's not only me. I think that's a lot of my generation. Well, this is the thing with the uh, car advertising. The key to it has always been to show show the vehicle moving and running and doing something. Like if it's a four-wheel drive, show it going through a river, you know. But if you can do this virtually and in an immersive way, it's like incredibly more, much more powerful. With the smallest amount of money now than ever, I don't understand why every car dealership in the country doesn't have a full six degrees of freedom VR immersive experience. Room, like a cinema room, so to speak. Not even in a, just in the show floor, just in the show floor. Chuck some headphones on, put a VR headset on, sit in front of a, a real scale wheel and a real scale pedals and brake. Give me the ability to drive the car before I buy it and not just on the commercial roads, but in a WRX at 200 Ks around a kidney bean and in a Triton competing in a Dakar rally. Give me memories to purchase. So without holding you to a, a fixed cost, just say, had a Toyota, Ford, wherever, Mitsubishi are listening to this and you sort of said, well, what's the cost of that per showroom? Is it is it 20K? Is it 50K? No, I think it's somewhere closer to 20. I think these days, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, you were looking at bespoke pieces that you know needed to be built by engineers in-house and put together as, as one one of a kind. Now, these days, 10, 15 years later, you're looking at half that cost. You're looking at 15, 20 grand a showroom with $5,000 hardware and, you know, once one experience is built, it can be deployed across multiple different showrooms, multiple different brands. Yep, absolutely. And you can you can contact... Jesse Barrett at Canopy Creative dot Design to discuss it further. That's the one. Even if they only did it in their largest dealerships. Exactly, as I say, Swifty head office top, you know, top ten, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone's interested in anything VR, three D, XR, AI, Canopy's doors open. You know, from metaverse to medieval, Canopy's got you covered. So we're here. Sports cars, four-wheel drives, like you wouldn't do it for a uh, Suzuki Swift. For me, for me, I used to drive a Suzuki Swift for a little bit in Wellington. That sentence, that sentence says quite a lot right there. <laughs> it was a yellow oh, one too. Oh dear. But experiencing how easy it is in a Suzuki Swift to do a reverse parallel park. <laughs> That'll make me my one. Did you just get out and lift it up and put it in there? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what else could you use it for? There's some other applications for the experience. Oh, home builders, property developers, architects. Oh, man. Heaps. Training truck drivers, train drivers. Pixon Group, one of the things that we, we wanted to talk to Bunnings about, which we should have got onto your mate Shagger about, because um, mm -hmm. he spent 16 years there, was creating man caves. So that you could put a headset on, because I mean, Bunnings, they sponsor all of the major, whether it's cricket, AFL, 
you know, they sponsor sport all the year round. But then you could go into Bunnings and you could put the dimensions of the room in. You can, you know, you put the headset on, you can see the paint, you can mix things around, you can change things around, you can look at them, decide what you like, and then watch the sport and then get, get a sausage sizzle right there and then. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a great example. That's a great example. See, Swifty, man ahead of my time. I've always said that. <laughs> when it comes to mixed reality, though, when it comes to where we're heading, at the end of the day, anything you can think of can be achieved. And anything we're currently doing in our day-to-day lives, in business or with family or with friends, in the right way, can be improved with mixed reality, with the metaverse. For instance, if I want more in- information on a product, instead of pulling out my phone and having to push these weird finger sausages into this screen to understand words, right, and Google stuff, why don't I just double tap on my glasses and have an AR character in the brand of that product come out and explain to me exactly what I want? You know, whether it be what's in my dog's food and a little puppy comes out and explains to you, oh, I've got no whole grains and I'm, you know, lean meat. It's a way more immersive and interactive and human experience than what we've fallen into with these weird black panels that everyone carries around. But you see, the the problem we've got, and this is the problem that I think mankind struggles with, is it's like when we went from static signs, I don't want to dumb it down, but you'll have to bear with me, it's back to acetate. You upgrade that to scrolling signs, and then you think, oh, let's get all imaginative and we'll go to LED. And then, you know, what I think you're talking about, Jesse, is LED floors, LED ceilings, and then things coming out the middle of the ground, which are 3D. What's that mega dome in Vegas everyone's talking about? Apparently it's crap up close, but it looks, it looks amazing from the distance. You know, you know. A bit like yourself, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down. Well, it's funny you bring that up. Because Chris and I will be over in April next year uh, to get a tour of the Vegas Sphere. Yeah, right. Is that what it's called? Vegas Sphere. I've yeah, just yeah, seen yeah. a lot of clips of it. I don't know where Instagram or online or something. Yeah, I think it's. it's I like, think ooh. the whole. I think the full title is the MGM Sphere, mm. um, or the MGM LED Sphere, mm. something like that. Looks amazing. Um, but we're talking with them at the moment, um, just as fellow digital artists. We'll get our, our kind of hands dirty and, and get to see the, the back end and how it runs. And it's an incredible piece of technology and it's a glimpse into what's coming after everyone's walking around with a contact lens in their eye. <laughs> you see, again, though, I've got, to, I've got to be honest about that. Like, I wear contact lenses, have done for the last 20 years, and it's the bane of my life. If I could, have, if I could sort it out and afford it, I'd, I'd go and get them lasered. So then we're taking... Then we're taking another step forward into what Elon's working on, which is the neural link oh, yeah. and the ability to directly stream images into the optic nerve. Right. So there's no need for any device. Yeah, he's trialing implants at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, correct. In humans? Yes. Yep. Mm. Uh, after, after they just had a chimpanzee to teach itself Pong and be able to control Pong, the old video game. Oh, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I was shit at that too. I was almost as shit at pop as I was at Age of Empires. <laughs> mm. But I mean, this sounds, this stuff sounds crazy, and it, and I hear myself. 
And, you know, I see the look you're giving me, Ruddy. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I also don't think we're, I don't think we're that far off. I think we'll be having a very different conversation in five and then in 10 years about how quick this stuff came to fruition. You know, if you went back 20 years ago and asked anyone, will everyone be carrying around a mobile phone? I think most people probably would have said no. No, go back. My, my dad always tells it, uh, what was it, in the late 50s or early 60s? And John F. Kennedy, 1963, he said he was going to go to the moon by the end of the decade. And uh, everybody was like, this is just insane. And Dad always uses that as an example. He said in 1963, when JFK said that, people said he was insane. Within six years, we were standing on the moon. Some people exactly. don't believe that, Swifty, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of no voters. The uh, so it's a, they focus they focus their energy, and within six years they went to another planet, right? So if you've got people like young Adam Ferrier here, uh, our futurist spirit guide, applying his mind to it, right? What is next? But Swifty, like uh, uh, Jesse, just so you're clear, the reason I brought up acetates and fax machines is because. Swifty, we've watched that for the last 20, 30 years. And that was that is within our lived our lived experience, Matt, is what you'd say if you were a thought leader on LinkedIn. <laughs> we never had the internet. We never had mobile phones. I mean, it's mm. ridiculous. So, Jesse, you know, 100%, I, I'm just, I know one, it's not fair to ask anyone to predict the future. But predict the future, Jesse, now and get it right. <laughs> Look, I can do my, I can do my, do my best. <laughs> but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it, this whole world is going to be shaped by such a collective of incredibly smart and incredibly talented individuals that I have been very lucky to work with in, in my decades long career so far. Um, I'm very lucky to call many of them friends, uh, and everyone together works very, very hard to, to help shape the exact conversation that we're having now. Absolutely. And innovation, I mean, innovation makes up, I don't know, I can't remember what it is, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's about 10, 12% of the GDP. And, and, and that's that's what you've got to rely on because we've got all these pressures now and you say about that globally, but I mean, you know, look at climate change and look at how sort of fragile the world is right now with everything going on, whether it's, and like, we don't want to get political about it, but there's a lot of big things going on right now and it's frightening so you know we do need technology to to save us otherwise yeah it's perilous really and i'm glad i'm glad you say that because really i think a lot of people look at technology as a curse they you know there's a lot of people blaming social media blaming the internet for things and i think at the end of the day if we can work through culturally together through these issues technology will be nothing but our savior for all things we're talking about, whether it be geopolitical, whether it be environment. But when, when Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, uh, Twitter, X were all created, they were not uh, hate-filled, racist, bigoted ponds of lies. Machines did not make themselves into that. People did that. 100%. Yeah, people did that. So you can't blame a tool like Facebook 
blaming uh, Facebook for racism is like blaming the murderer's gun for the crime. Couldn't have said it better myself. We did this. So all they've done is hold up, they've held up a mirror to the human race and it turns out we're shit. And I think in, <laughs> I think in, I think in 30, 40, 50 years time, we'll look back on this as potentially a blessing. God, you know, we went through some hard times on this planet and I'm excited to tell my grandkids, but at the end of the day, we're all better off for it. That's what I hope I can tell them. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a, a cracking point to finish on, actually, Jesse. Well, thanks so much for having me. Well, Swifty, I told you it'd be an amazing episode, that one. What do you think? That was genuinely mind-blowing, Ruddy. Uh, and I agree with you now. He has seen the future. If only you and I were in it. <laughs> Well, on your on, on your boat, you might be though, Swifty. You might be on my boat, yeah. yeah. That was genuinely thought-provoking and quite staggering. I think it's great though that he's going to come back on the um, on the podcast just when things develop. That'd be really good. Oh, I definitely think, have him back. Yeah, and and you know, I think people listening will enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, that is a very good idea. I'm still a bit stunned with the uh, the information and the predictions that he's come out with, but yeah. Yeah, I've worked with him a few times, to be honest, and, uh, you know, I'm not, but, you know, I suppose I'm always ahead of the curve. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, Swifty, great week, great, great episode, and um, let's keep them coming, eh? Yeah, I think we've got some rippers coming up. And if, if, if the, you know, if you're out there... Like I said, if you want to come on here, please do so. Matt.rudd at sports global.com. Brilliant.